Right, so this morning, um, we're going to worship afterwards, and what, I, what we share this morning is going to be based on a dream that Kerwin had recently, an incredibly prophetic dream, I believe, a, a God dream, and I'm going to ask him in a moment to come up and share it, and then off that dream, I want to share prophetically. I remember, if you were here last week, last week I, sh- I said I'm, going to share it, I'm sharing a pastoral word, and this week is more of a prophetic word. So, um, Kerwin, do you want to come up and... Share the dream that God's Spirit gave you. Thanks, Greg. And then just to preface it, I hadn't had mushrooms before I had this dream. <laughs> so, um, Joel 2.28 talks about uh, your young, young, man, young men having visions, your old men having, having dreams. So, this was, this was a vision. Definitely a vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in all seriousness, so um, about uh, three weeks ago on a Monday, early Monday morning, um, and I, I knew the time because I woke up immediately after that, uh, it was about three o'clock that I'd woke up, but just prior to that in my, in my dream, um, and I've had this, these types of dreams before, but a few years back. So the dream, how it started, and it was one of those dreams for me, it was, was more of an event, um, because as you know, with me personally, when I have a dream and you wake up during the middle of the night and you think, oh, that was interesting, I'll, th- I'll remember it, I must tell Philippa in the morning. But when you wake up in the morning, it's like, what did I dream about again? And you, you kind of forget. But this one, every single detail has stuck with me every day since then. Um, so for me, it's easy to, to talk about exactly what happened because I can remember it sequentially and without fail in terms of exactly what happened. So... The dream starts with a, uh, you picture one of those old haunted houses, okay, but not your Hollywood-style haunted house. This was almost like a um, Victorian mansion, but everything, everything was, was gray and ashen and, and dark, um, and I'd woken up in a room in this mansion, which was a large room. Um, on, a, on quite a large bed. I mean, it was way bigger than a, it was sort of like a double king size. And um, everything, in, when I woke up in my dream, looking around the room, everything was, was also very gray and, and tattered and just not very nice. And um, as I woke up, this bat, quite a large bat, flew towards me to attack me. And I just grabbed it and I just threw it away from me, uh, quite violently, uh, because I knew this thing wanted to harm me. So at that point, I heard this ominous voice calling to come out, come down. And I thought, no, I'm not going to follow that voice. And um, next minute, this voice started calling out people by name and saying, we're waiting for you, we're waiting for you, we're waiting for you. And my name, we were still waiting for you, come down. So I was compelled to go into the space where this, this, this entity was. Anyway, the next minute I'm in this dark room or room, whatever it is, you can't see the, the outsides of it, but in this space. And in this room are two, two lines of people, probably a similar sort of width of the chairs. So there's a, there's a line of, of people this, this way and there's a line of people this way. I'm in this lane, or this line, 
And there's probably about a dozen in each line. And every single person in that line looks identical. We're all wearing almost like a, a sleep outfit or a sleep gown, whatever you want to call it, um, um, from here to, to, to our feet. And very sort of grayish, not, not pristine at all. Um, and the one person I recognize in my line is my cousin Karen, Greg's sister. So she's about three people deep away from me. So it's me and Karen, no one else I recognize in that line. And as I'm standing in this line, there's this entity, demonic entity, walking down the middle, backwards and forwards. And this, this, ent this entity was big. I mean, it was as tall as that aircon. And we were standing in the middle. And the one, the one thing about all of us is that we were identical. The same hair. I couldn't see my hair, so I don't, maybe I had hair. I didn't know. <laughs> but everyone had hair. And it was all the same length. Everyone looked identical. Anyway, so this, this entity was walking up and down. And it's just like, you don't want to be in this place because of this, this demonic creature. And then next minute, this young girl, lady, next to me, because we're all facing this way. She's to my left. Um, she turns to this entity and with, almost with a confident smirk on her face, looks at it and says, she is winning. And then just disappears. Anyway, so the next minute, um, I have a sword in my hand. And as this thing turns around and starts walking away from me, back down the line, I ran up behind it with this big sword, and I slashed at its Achilles uh, heel or tendon to cut its Achilles tendon. And as I cut the Achilles tendon of this creature, um, I heard a voice say, I will break the horn of Bashan. Uh, quite, quite a, a, I mean, I, in, my, in my mind, or in my dream, I knew it was God. I will break the horn of Bashan. As I, I cut this, um, this creature's, this uh, Achilles tendon, I have seen this entity before, um, and I'll end here, is just before I gave my life, I had a, a profound dream like this as well. And I'd seen this creature before, or this, this demonic force. Same face, with the horns, very much like you see in these, these movies. The typical, atypical demonic type of, of entity. And this, I believe at that stage, I hadn't given my life, but I was seeking. My gran, who was very instrumental in getting me um, across the line in terms of giving my life, had given me a lot of literature, and I was very close to giving my life at that stage. And this thing started coming to my dreams and trying to uh, scare me away from, from actually giving my life. It had the opposite effect, completely opposite effect, because then I thought, okay, I want to know, I want to know this Jesus. I want to run into the Father's arms. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. That is an incredibly significant dream, that. That's, that's um, like I said to Kerwin, and we laughed about it, you could, you could slot that into the book of Revelation right there. <laughs> but let no man add to that revelation, the Bible says. <laughs> but God is spirit, and his words are spirit, and they are life, and God speaks to us. And his sheep know his voice. 
And when God speaks, we ought to listen and to heed because there is direction and there is victory for us as people on planet earth in Christ Jesus. Just quickly before I, I, I preach into this, um, just to say, and Kevin explained it so beautifully, there was this, this, it was a dark place, there was a bat that came to assault him. How many of you like bats? Yeah, no. Susan, not. <laughs> this ominous voice calling, come, come, we're waiting for you, come. What did Kevin feel when he first heard that voice? Intimate, like, I don't want to go. That doesn't sound inviting. Two rows of people, identical. In other words, no individual identity. Just all the same, drab, conformed, restricted, suppressed, just waiting in a line. Under the intimidation of this incredibly huge, demonic, dark figure, which walks up and down, and everybody's just, in a sense, motionless. Significance, Karen is there in the line. Karen is a worshiper. Could have been any of the worshipers, but for Kerwin, it was Karen. The one person he recognized is a worshiper. But the worshiper's standing in the line, quietly, like everybody else. Then, there is this this figure as it walks, sorry, there's this woman who says, she is winning. That for us is, is just this declaration of one of these people in the line to say, though we, we feel and look like this, the church is winning. The church is winning. She is winning. The church is winning. But this thing's parading. The next moment, Kerwin is holding a sword. That's very significant. A sword. And then he takes the sword and he goes, he steps out. He says, when he said to me, he said, without any form of fear, without, suddenly there's no intimidation. It's like, I have got a sword. And he steps out and he cuts the Achilles, which immediately immobilizes that creature. It cannot move once its Achilles is cut and it falls. And then there's the voice, the voice of God. Saying, I have broken the horn of Bashan. Quite significant, eh? So let's look at this. Bashan. If you look in the scriptures about Bashan, Bashan was a, a land in the Middle East, very fertile, a um, lot of plains, very fertile with huge forests, a lot of mountains as well, many peaked mountains the Bible speaks of, and there was, they had strong cattle the bulls of Bashan, with big horns. It's, it's mentioned numerous times in the scriptures. But every time it's mentioned, not once is it favorable. Every time it is anti the people of God. It is anti-God and anti the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 3. When God's people are traveling, they encounter the king of Bashan, who was King Og. And God gives them victory over Og. Here's a nice name for a child. <laughs> but, what, what, but what Moses writes is he says, he was a descendant of Rephaim, who are the giants of the land. So King Og was a huge, huge entity. In fact, Moses writes in Deuteronomy that when they came across his bed, 
His bed was huge. It's in the Bible. His bed was huge. It gives you the dimensions of his bed. Seems arbitrary. But it's to show he was a descendant of Rephaim. Psalm 22, verses 12 to 13, is the psalm of David, but it's a prophetic psalm. It's a psalm that not only is it expressing what's, what David's encountering, it's a psalm that is expressing what Jesus will encounter when he goes to the cross. Psalm 22. And what, and I'm going to quote from it, Psalm 22, verse 12 and 13, spoken of David, this is what he feels, and it's what Jesus felt at the cross when he was being crucified, says this, many bulls, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. <coughs> they open wide their mouths at me like a ravenous roaring lion. The bulls of Bashan, the horns of Bashan, are there to intimidate, to make you feel suppressed and intimidated and helpless. You feel overwhelmed by the, by the hugeness of who they are and what they stand for. It's what David felt, and it's what Jesus felt in his soul, in his humanity, when he was being crucified. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 68, verse 15 to 16. Mountain of Bashan. O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mountain that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. Mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred at the place God has chosen? To dwell. Where does God dwell now? In his church in his people. O Bashan, why do you look with hatred at the place that God has chosen to dwell? Yeah. Amos 4, 1 to 3. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink together. It's always about, it's dark, it's deceitful, it's oppressive, oppressing the weak, it's, it's not good. And in this dream, the voice of God speaks only when Kerwin takes the sword that is in his hand and he uses that sword and as he cuts, I have broken the horn of Bashan. Horn means strength. Of course, it's what Jesus did. On that cross, he broke the horn of Bashan. But the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world, this spirit is anti-God, and more particular, it is anti-Christ. It is anti-Jesus. You can talk about anything, but the moment you talk about Jesus, people get upset. Like Jesus carries more offense than any other God you can mention. That's the way of the world. Why? Because it's the spirit of anti-Christ. It's Bashan. Church, take up your sword. If you and I don't use the sword, we will remain suppressed, intimidated, and not worship King Jesus the way we were called to worship him. The church will lose her voice. The church will lose her passion. The church will lose her zeal. The church will just be playing church instead of using the sword of the Spirit of God. It is the ploy of this spirit 
to rob the church of her identity. Everybody gray. Everybody, in a sense, almost voiceless. Everybody looks the same. No unique gifting. Our God is a God who has made human beings to be unique. But the culture of this world wants to cancel anybody who wants to be different. The culture of this world wants to suppress the unique gifting of God's blessing upon your uniqueness as a human being. For He created you in your mother's womb. He formed and He shaped you. And He made you different to everybody else. But the spirit of this world wants to suppress that. Wants to intimidate you so that you just conform to the patterns of this world. You lose your voice, you lose your passion, you lose your identity, unless, church, you take up your sword. Just think of what the world has gone through in the last few years with this coronavirus thing. Literally, it was an absolute suppression of freedom. It was a conformity to what the government said. The governments stopped the church from meeting. They stopped everybody from meeting, but that included the church, and we were one of the last to come back into operation. The governments don't care about the church. The world doesn't care about the church. The world wants to suppress the church. It's the spirit of the age. It's anti-Christ. And unless we take up our sword, we will be victims of the horn of Bashan, which Jesus defeated but unless we take up our sword, we don't enforce the victory that King Jesus won. Many Christians, and now this is going to be challenging, many Christians, after this, the episode of the last two years, have adopted a less visible, less engaged, less committed, less passionate experience of serving Jesus Christ in a world gone horribly wrong. It's Christianity now on my terms. I don't need community because it works easier for me if I just do it on, on my own at home with Jesus. And friends, that is not the will of God. You can't show me the will of God from Scripture and say that's it because I can't see it. It's a world desperately in need of truth that Jesus Christ has defeated Satan and has paid the price for the sins of mankind and has opened a way for man to be reconciled to God, have peace with God, be a friend of God, be filled with God, enjoy life with God, and not be suppressed by the spirit of this world. But it's a world that needs the church to rise up again with her uniqueness, her gifting, her different voice, not conform to the world, and express with passion, Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what he's done in my life. We are to worship Jesus as Lord. He's not just our friend. He is Lord who conquered the horn of Bashan. He conquered Satan on the cross. Kyrios Christos, the Lord is Christ. He is my Savior, but he is my Lord. Your will be done, not mine. The spirit of Antichrist is, of course, at work in the world, but has subtly crept into the church. Anti-Jesus. Graham, my brother-in-law, was telling me, and I, I, read, it, I read up the article, um, Paris Saint-Germain, PSG, big, big, big soccer team in France, 
Qatari owned, owned by the, em the Emiratis. They have offered name, apparently, this is according to a, a source, a Spanish news outlet, El Mundo, they have offered Neymar Jr. How many of you know Neymar Jr.? One of the greatest soccer players of our time. He is an ardent Jesus lover. He has a bandana, 100% Jesus. He shows it whenever he can. The club has offered Neymar, apparently, 541,680 euros. 541,680 euros per month. Not to play soccer, not to talk about Jesus, anything religious, or anything political in his interviews. That's how much the world is willing to shut up the mouth of people who announce Jesus. You don't read about anybody else. Because they don't like Jesus. Because Jesus has set himself apart as the revelation of God, the Son of God, who reveals God to mankind. Reveals the will and purpose of God. We live in a world that is anti-Christ. If you just talk about God, they don't mind. But just talk about Jesus and their issues. So now, Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 6. And friends, we've got to understand, we, we mustn't be in danger of, of minimizing the spiritual reality of life in which we live. My beautiful daughter asked me the other day, she said, Dad, what's the difference between our own human thoughts, the ways of the world, and Satan in terms of how we think? It's a good question. <clears throat> so I explained it like this to her. It was, the, it was the, my quickest and easiest way to explain it. And some of you might not appreciate it, but this is the way I could explain it the most quick. <laughs> I said, I said, um, I said, you know what? All three of those are realities. Your own human thoughts. The way of the world and, and evil, demons. Demons are, are real and operational and active. They really are. You've got to realize that, guys. Seriously, they are active. So, so I said it like this. I said, if I'm at the beach and this beautiful-looking woman walks past in a bikini and I have a, a bad thought about her, it's not Satan. It's my own humanity. That's just how it is. However, if I'm driving around and there's a big billboard and then, there's, and then I look at the news and I'm watching TV and it's women everywhere, it's women everywhere, that's the way of the world subtly encroaching upon my mind and getting me to think more and more about it. But if I'm in church worshiping or if I'm busy sitting in a meeting and I suddenly have a flash of a woman, that's, that's not just my natural human being. That's an evil thought that is being sown in to try and distract me. And it can happen during worship. So I explained it to her like that. So I'm talking about there's a spiritual reality that wants to assault you and wants to distract you from being a child of God, unique, born again, filled with the Spirit, and proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. Because you get intimidated when you get tripped up and you get deceived. So Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong, Paul says, in the Lord. Not in your own self, because you and I know ourselves I'm not so strong. I have good days and I have really average days. And I have bad days. But the Lord never has a bad day. So when I'm strong in Jesus, when I'm rooted in Jesus, when he is the love of my life, 
when he's the first one I think of when I wake up and the last one I think of when I go to sleep. I am strong in the Lord Jesus and the power of his might who overcame the horn of Bashan. Put on the whole armor of God. By the way, I don't put it on every morning because I've put it on in him and I never take it off. So I don't go through a ritual every morning putting on the helmet of salvation. I sleep with it. It's on. It's on. I'm in Christ. It's on. It's staying on. Who would want to take off the armor of God? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Most often, the hassles you face in your life, most often, it's not just a natural hassle. It's to distract you and intimidate you. It's the bulls of Bashan coming against you. Shut up, Christian. You're weak and insipid. You know nothing. You can't represent Jesus. Look at your life. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, who, by the way, Jesus Christ has overcome. So we wrestle against those who are already defeated. And against the powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a whole list of them. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We are set up to withstand. In other words, we are set up to keep standing no matter what Bashan does. No matter what the spirit of the age does, we are set up to keep standing. But guess who's got to stand? We have to stand. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand on the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. (laughs) Don't stop standing. Keep standing. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus says, you are righteous. I've taken your sin. And I have declared you righteous. You tell the devil, you are righteous. Don't be intimidated when you have a bad day. You are righteous. Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So far, all these things are are um, defensive. Yeah? Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, even I'm going to get to the helmet of salvation, you are saved. Um, shoes, shoes so that you can run without getting thorns and stones in so you can keep going, you can keep, keep fighting. But guess what, church? If you're sitting at home on the couch, you don't need shoes. <laughs> you need shoes when you are living the gospel of Jesus every day, wherever you are, everybody, every day, everywhere. That's when you need shoes. Um, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Also defensive. Shield of faith. By which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Not one can get through when your faith is in Christ. You are saved in Christ. In Christ is my salvation. Not not one gets through when you are operating in that faith. But they'll come. 
to intimidate you, to shut you up, to rob you of your gifting and your passion. Take the helmet of salvation. It's also protection. And then finally, the one. Finally, the one. And you take up the sword. What does a sword do? Thrust. Splits open. Demolishes. Cuts away. You take up church. Take up your sword. Kerwin took his sword. And in the moment he stepped out to face this huge thing. Look, look how big that thing is. Just whoosh, And that thing falls down. But it's a sword that does the damage. The helmet doesn't do the damage. The belt doesn't do the damage. The shoes don't do the damage. The breastplate doesn't do the damage. The sword does the damage. The sword. And take up the sword, listen, the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. In other words, the spirit wants to wield the sword. It's the, it's the sword that belongs to the spirit. It's the spirit that actually gives the sword this movement and this authority and this power. The Holy Spirit of God. Who is where? Who is here in the child of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh my gosh. You can't, you've got, you've got to realize what's going on here now. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is, if you want to know what, the, what it is, it is the word of God of God. And as I've preached before in this church, um, who's, who's got a Bible here? No, no, not, I don't want to, I want a proper one. Quick, just bring me a Bible, thank you, Roy. Which is the Word of God. When it talks about the Word of God there, now don't get all nervous, it's not talking about this book. And I've preached, I've preached a series on this. That book is all about the revelation of the Word of God. It's all about prophecies pointing to the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word. Not the Bible, the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and nothing was made without Him. And the Word became flesh. Jesus is the sword. Jesus is the sword. The ch so church, take up your sword. Doesn't mean put your Bible in your car on your desk. It means take up your living vital, real relationship with Jesus and live Jesus in this world. Speak the words of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the hope of Jesus into the world against the spirit of Antichrist, against the horns of Bashan. It is only Jesus who breaks the horns of Bashan. And the church holds the sword. So what is our relationship like with Jesus? Because many Christians talk about, ah, oh, I'm saved. I've got a relationship with Jesus. They hardly think of Jesus during the day. The prayers, our prayers are consumed with what we want from Jesus, what we need from Jesus. Not just Jesus. Let me enjoy you, Jesus. Listen to this. We're going to end with this. Let me 
worship you, Jesus. The Spirit of God is zealous for Jesus. John 14, 15, 16, and 17, when Jesus talks to his disciples, he says, and the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will glorify me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Who holds, the, it's the sword of Holy Spirit. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit together. It is God active. Christ is alive. He's alive. Let me tell you a quick testimony. I shared this, this with Brad Taylor this week um, via Zoom. And um, we were just talking about Jesus because we love to talk about Jesus because that's what, that's what assaults the spirit of this age. And he said, let me tell you a quick testimony. They were, they were sharing with a group of leaders in London just, the, I don't know, two weeks ago, whenever. And he says, um, Vicky shared on how, how God... How Jesus confirms his word with signs following. When we believe Jesus, when we are living Jesus, when we are walking Jesus, he confirms, he does the stuff. He does the stuff. So in this group now, Vicky taught on this, and then they were worshiping. And while they're worshiping, this one lady in the group, as she opens her mouth to sing, she's got pain in her mouth because she's having a wisdom She's got compacted, whatever you call them, impacted wisdom teeth. She's going for an operation the next day. So as she opens her mouth, it's sore. So she goes, I must ask them to pray for me because of my operation tomorrow and this pain that I've got. And then she thinks, hey, wait a minute. I've just listened to a teaching that says, when I trust Jesus, he confirms his word with signs following. I don't even need someone to pray for me if I'm going to trust him now. I've just heard the teaching. So she says, okay, Jesus, I believe you have healed me, like I heard. She says the next moment, she feels movement in her gums. And she says, as she feels the movement in her gums, she starts to move her mouth, and there's no more pain. So she tells everybody, and everybody rejoices. And she goes for her operation the next day. She says, before you do it, x-ray. So the, whoever it is, I don't know if it's a facial maxilla surgeon or a dentist or whoever, he does the x-ray. He says, oh my gosh. He says, if I didn't know you, I would say you're a different person. No operation needed. Because God, the living Christ, confirms his word with signs following when we believe he's the living Christ. Church, Take up your sword, the living Christ. That is what assaults Satan. That is what assaults the horns of Bashan. Nothing more than the living Christ, the sword of the Spirit. Listen to this. And I'm saying it's, it's all about how we handle the sword. It's how we handle the living Christ in our lives. It's, it's, it's how we relate with him. It's how we love him. It's how we believe in him. That's handling the sword. Words. You know what words are? So, we, so Jesus is called the word of God. The words of God. And what, what are words? Words are, um, they are intelligible sounds that are able to be 
interpreted and understood to make sense so that you understand. So when I'm speaking English to you who understand English, you understand what I'm saying because your mind interprets those sounds. But somebody who's Greek doesn't make, they don't know what you're saying, or Zulu, or kind of whichever way. What God did is he released his word to the earth in Jesus. And when you study Jesus, it doesn't matter what language you are, it becomes intelligible understanding of what God is like. Without the word of God, we wouldn't understand God. But through Jesus, we understand God. All nations, all tribes, look at this one life and the way that he lived, and they go, that's what God looks like. He is the revelation of God so a man can understand God. God communicates to us. Christ is the word. Let me end up with the scripture. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active. Who's living still? Christ Jesus is alive. He rose again from the dead. He is alive. He's the living one. For the word of God is living and active to break the horn of Bashan. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I want to close with this. Worship. Worship. What does your worship look like? Is it silenced in the line? Feeling intimidated? Feeling a bit discouraged? Feeling a little bit like I've lost my voice? I've lost my passion. I've lost my gifting. I'm just in the line. The spirit of the age is too hard. The world, this life's too hard. Or will you step out with the sword, Jesus? Will you lift him up? Will you exalt him? Will you proclaim him? Will you lift up your voice, let your lungs fill, and will you announce for, it is now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God gets declared. To powers and principalities to the horns of Bashan to remind them, you are broken. You have no power over me as long as I am speaking Christ. Paul said, for I will preach Christ and him crucified. So worship. I shared this a while ago when I spoke of us being people of the Spirit. I believe there are times when we feel the Spirit of God more active amongst us than at other times. He's always with us. He's always in me. But there are times the Spirit of God gets excited and starts to dance. And you know when he does that is when I become Jesus-focused. When I suddenly let everything else fall away. All form and ideas of religion and tradition and, and trying to do right and trying to be good and just lift up Jesus. When I lift up Jesus, the Spirit here to glorify the Son and the Spirit starts to dance. There's an activity in worship when we are more Jesus-focused. So musicians and leaders of song, of music teams, 
we've got to be reminded, we want to we sing songs that are absolutely focused on Jesus. He is the destroyer of the enemy. He is the one. We just got to be strong in Him. We can't be strong in ourselves. We don't have what it takes. But we want to worship King Jesus. So church, let's get off the couch and let's worship Jesus. And let's worship Him not just in here. Let's worship Him out there. When I, I've just been at two, two dances. No, no, I haven't been at dances. That's a, that. Two, what do you call them, pre-dance things. Because my daughter's in grade 11 already. It's like, seriously. She's all grown up, man. And so I'm talking to people who, who aren't Christians. But I just, on both occasions, Friday night and Saturday night, I found opportunity to talk about Jesus with them. And the one guy is, he's a lovely man. He's Jewish. So he didn't really... He listened to me, didn't fight me, but, and the other guy is a nice guy. He's, he's not, he's sort of, but that's where you worship Jesus. In conversations with people, you just lift up Jesus. Just lift him up. Because when he's lifted up, he draws all people to himself. That's our, that's our role, church. Lift up Jesus. Witness to Jesus. Glorify Jesus. So let's take our sword, not just in the meeting, Let's take our sword out there, wherever we are, and let's worship Jesus. Be absolutely, unapologetically Christ-focused and centered, because that will change your life. You will have passion again. You'll step out of the line. You will have a voice again. You won't, be, you won't lose your identity. You won't lose your gifting. You will know who you are in Christ. So let's stand and let's worship Him.